this week on Pioneering Cannabis. Everything I just said is not untrue. Mm-hmm. And so like, I'm sorry if that offends you. <laughs> you go dab in your car. I'm going to smoke my joint over here. I don't want to be a part of that. The fact that there's emergency legislation going down to make a safe thing, vaping, against the law yeah. because people didn't take the time to ask the question, what was in this particular type of vape cartridge that was problematic? Mm-hmm. I'm frustrated when I hear people say, cannabis is great for PTSD. Cause it's like, dude, you could really be setting someone up for a bad time. Those are those people. Um, Trolls. If, you're, if you wanna be a plumber, if you wanna be an electrician, you wanna be a lawyer, you wanna be a doctor, you go to school, you learn how to do it the right way, mm-hmm. you become trained, you practice, and then you become certified. And men were typically like, fuck you. Oh wait, I don't know if I can cuss on my own podcast. Yeah, I can cuss, it's mine, so. It's your own podcast. <laughs> this episode of Pioneering Cannabis is brought to you by Wake and & Bake and the Healthy Cannabis Makeover. The 30-day Healthy Cannabis Makeover was designed to help you navigate the journey of using cannabis to feel better. If you're struggling with low energy, sleepless nights, or getting on and off the health wagon, this program is for you. I designed the Healthy Makeover to help you understand how cannabis can play a role in improving your health and to help you start seeing results quickly without all the confusion. I've combined my favorite practices from cannabis and health coaching, intuitive eating, and yoga, and put them in a simple 30-day program that's easy to follow. I love this program so much that I've included a no-risk seven-day money-back guarantee so you can try it, and if you don't like it for any reason, I'll give you your money back. No questions asked. Visit shop.wakeandbake.co and use the coupon code PIONEER for $30 off. That's shop.wakeandbake.co. Disclaimer, results may vary. Always check with your doctor before incorporating anything new into your health routine. Check your state and local laws to make sure what cannabinoids are legal to use in your area, and enjoy the show. Welcome to Pioneering Cannabis. My name is Corinne Tobias, and I'm here today with our first episode of very special guest, Max Montrose. Max Montrose is a cannabis expert, and he's also the founder of the Tricom Institute, which is a training program for interpreters. So Max, I'm going to start off with the obvious question. What is an interpreter? Um, well, and, you know, the just to, I guess, save at first, uh, I think the primary thing Tricom does is um, work with the Cannabis Sommelier program, which is interpreting, uh, but we also do a variety of different um, things within the cannabis space, um, not just interpreting, but when it comes to uh, what interpreting is, um, it is the foundation for um, a cannabis expertise that's legitimate, uh, the way that the world of wine has you know, a legitimate uh, bona fide certification program, um, which would be a, a sommelier, um, you know, similarly to a, a beer cicerone or a coffee cupper. So um, if you're someone who has passed any level of certification of interpreting, uh, that would make you an interpreter. Yeah, an interpreter. I'm on my way. I'm on my way to level one. I'm very excited about it. I've been doing Max's course for a day now, and I feel like I've learned more in a day from you and from that course about the structure of the cannabis plant and the chemistry of a cannabis plant than I've learned in, I mean, the seven years of doing this. So we, it's amazing. Yeah, we, we hear, we, it's not uncommon to have people in our class who have grown cannabis for decades. 
um, say that the amount of information, new uh, information about cannabis that they learn in under an hour yeah. uh, in these classes supersedes, you know, 20 years worth of uh, trying to figure this stuff out. Um, but there's figuring out cannabis um, and, and, and what is real and what is not real um, is a really big uh, challenge of our industry right now. And it's also, you know, my favorite part of it. Yeah, I actually want to move on to that. We'll talk a little more about the Tricom Institute later, because what I've noticed um, in following you for a while is that you've kind of become this controversial figure <laughs> in cannabis in some ways. It seems like every video that you post, every, um, every stance that you make, um, it seems like there's usually these waves of stuff and responses about it. And, um, and I think a lot of the controversy comes from the, the established misinformation that's just so deeply ingrained in our culture and our industry. And you, you kind of like rub up against that and you're like, well, actually, you're that well actually guy, right? Well, actually, that's not what it is. And so people really have these like emotional responses to it. So I want to talk about a couple of those things yeah. that people really have emotional responses to. And the first thing sure. um, is dabbing. So dabbing is prolific yeah. in our, our culture and in our industry. Um, Fifty Over 50% of people say that they've tried dabs who have tried cannabis. 36% say they use it regularly, um, which is once once or more a month. And the reasons that they use um, that they use dabs, especially regular users, is so interesting because it's about curiosity. Um, that's what they've, they've uh, self-claimed, that it was about curiosity and experimentation, right? So it's this more psychoactive, uh, psychotropic experimentation and flower, typically flower users or people who don't use dabs very often, it's usually for these other um, health and wellness reasons and medical reasons. So since it's so prolific in the industry and it's, it's people use it a lot, um, what do you think about it? Um, well, I think quite a bit about it. Uh, you know, first of all, um, yeah, I am that uh, actually guy. Um, <laughs> uh, so like, uh, you know, the first thing that we need to, uh, be clear about is what it is that we're saying. And, um, you know, you dabbing is not a noun, it's a verb. And so, um, people don't, uh, people, you know, people dab concentrates, uh, but you can't go buy dabs, uh, the way that you, you, you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, and so, that's really critical because what is it that we're talking about? We're talking about dabbing, which is freebasing. And what is it that we're freebasing? Um, concentrates and what types of concentrates? Uh, there's a massive spectrum of them. And then within the massive spectrum of concentrates, there's a massive spectrum between uh, what we would consider clean, uh, safe, pure, uh, not that harmful, um, all the way to the other end of the spectrum, which is, uh, and what I believe is really, really dangerous. Um, in fact, uh, you know, there's a lot of black market concentrates, waxes, shatters, um, that yeah, have the same percentages of THC as the legal industry, um, but have explosive amounts of parts per million of flammable gases that they use to extract the concentrate with, right? And so, mm -hmm. um, you know, the legal industry still has uh, high amounts of PPMs as well, 
it just really depends where you are geographically because geographically from an industry perspective, some of the industry is highly regulated in how many parts per million of flammable gases you're allowed to suck into your cerebral cortex as being legally okay. Um, and there's newer places, uh, probably like Oklahoma, um, that has medical marijuana programs. They've got dispensaries. They've basically got a, got a flourishing industry with no laws. They don't know where their cannabis comes from. Um, you know what I mean? And so, yeah. so it, it totally depends. And so, um, uh, people get really offended, super upset, angry <laughs> when they hear me talk about this. And those are typically the kind of people who, um, they are dabbers, right? They, they dab so often that their tolerance is essentially obliterated, right? Mm -hmm. Because, um, yeah, uh, they they can't really smoke a joint and um, get the same effects that they used to be able to um, from a potency perspective and also an effect perspective, mm -hmm. and it becomes frustrating. I, I guess at the end of the day, it's that's their thing, and they kind of fall in love with it. They become connected to it, and so I think when they hear someone for the first time explain how and why that thing you do constantly might be might be really dangerous, depending on how you're doing it. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, it's something that upsets people, but. Uh, yeah, because when we're talking about, you're talking about flammable gases, we're talking about things like butane, right? And I don't know how much research has been done on how butane really affects, like you're talking about blasting it into your frontal cortex. And it's a very intense process for those of you who don't know what uh, dabbing is. I mean, it takes typically a blowtorch and a nail and it's a, it's a very high heat process. Well, you know, here's what we do know about butane. The, the, the gas butane in and of itself is something that is abused as a drug. And if you look at research out of the UK, um, they know that people who use butane to get high off of as like an inhalant, which is bringing butane into your brain, which is the same thing you're doing when you're dabbing butane uh, concentrates where the butane's present, right? And you can measure that in how many parts per million of, of, of butane is present in, in your product. Um, and we know that uh, people who inhale butane, um, it's, it's really dangerous and it's also carcinogenic. Um, it has polyaromatic hydrocarbons um, as well as multiple types of heavy metals within the liquid and then the gas itself. Um, and so, you know, like if you extract something with butane and you have a high amount of that butane in there, it's not just flammable gases with polyaromatic hydrocarbons and heavy metals that you're sucking into your cerebral cortex just to get THC in there, right? Mm -hmm. Like, right. okay. But <laughs> there are if, many other ways to do that. <laughs> yeah. Right, right. Uh, and that, but, um, but if, if what has been extracted came from plants that were sprayed with pesticides or fungicides, it's also not uncommon in the cannabis industry for you know black market growers or growers in general to use pesticides and fungicides that aren't legal for plants for human consumption. Um, like Eagle 20 is made for powdery mildew for the lawns of golf fields. It's, mm -hmm. it's not made to be sprayed on stuff that people eat, but it works really well. So growers will use it. 
but then if they use it not at the dose that the bottle recommends because i don't know maybe they're high and they don't care like, yeah, or they whatever. Like, you know more is better more is better yeah i've got i've got pee if i put more in i'll have less pm yeah exactly yeah you know, if you have five times the the amount of a pesticide and a fungicide that you spray your plant with, when you concentrate that plant, the concentration is generally times 10. And yeah. so five times 10 of a poison is 50. You could have 50 times um, mm. a neurological retardant. It's something that desi designed to turn your brain off. That's why it kills bugs and not the plant. <laughs> that's what a pesticide. Yeah. <laughs> um, and, yeah, and then that's what you're sucking into, uh, as well as the flammable gases and the other stuff. And so, you know, um, I'm that everything I just said is not untrue. Mm -hmm. right? And so, like, I'm sorry if that offends you. That I'm saying that the, some of these products do exist. Um, I hope that the people who are offended at this point remember that I said that there's also a spectrum of cleaner products and safer ways to do this. Um, but my whole however, yeah, my however whole though, <laughs> you have to however that because I've heard you also talk about tolerance when it comes to this, and and yeah. and, and I will say too that I've also heard you speak on the fact that you once were a dirty dab maker. Like, it's not like you're coming at no. this from like an outside True. perspective saying like, that is not okay. That's not good. You guys are being bad. You're saying that like, now I know this and I want to share this with you, right? And so it seems like it, that gets distorted a little bit in your message sometimes, which is a little frustrating from an outside perspective. I'm like, no, he's just telling you the facts, man, <laughs> you know? Yeah. 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 And I don't think I tell people that. I think you just reminded me that maybe I should, when I do tell people this kind of stuff, I should remind them that. Um, I, I was the guy that I'm talking about. I used yeah. to make these dabs in my backyard. I know how it's done. Uh, and I used to do it all the time. And it destroyed my ability to use my medicine. Because like when you need to go to sleep at night and you can't just like smoke a bowl of, you know, some chunky, heavy flour that, that really helps you do that. Mm. You, ha you have to get up and do this whole drug doing scenario. You have to mm. set up this entire kit of things and stuff with flamethrowers in order to <laughs> you, you know what I mean and uh and the thing that I think is really sad is more than one of my friends on more than one occasions I've gotten out of the car to go to a bar with them or to a concert and they get out with this like little mini duffel bag I'm like what the fuck is that <laughs> they're like this is my dab kit I'm like oh, we're, we're going to a bar dude why the fuck <laughs> do you have a dab kit with you he's like well you know, because like when we want to go out and have a smoke, I'm I, I'm gonna take a dab. It's like, dude, you you have to take a a, fan, <laughs> a fanny pack worth of tools <laughs> and things and stuff with you to to get some THC in your system. I was like, that sucks. You yeah. look like you're doing drugs. Yeah, and, and then like, you're in a back alley like with a torch, and you're like, I'm, it's like you know what I mean. <laughs> Tell you what, when I want to smoke halfway through my beers, I'm going to step outside and I'm going to smoke a joint on the street like I have been doing for the past 10 years in Denver. Yeah. Nobody cares. No. And that's it. It's like that. Yeah. I just, if but you when have, you do that next to me, then I'm like, oh shit. I'm oh, you're not allowed to. No, you're not allowed to do that next to me. You go dab in your car. I'm going to smoke my joint over here. I don't want to be a part of that. That sounds, <laughs> I was going to say that sounds sad. I don't mean judgmental, but it does sound a little bit sad to have to go dab by yourself in the car it is <laughs> they sent out my nice macho was like get out to the car <laughs> yeah. see you later dude uh, 
I've had some similar pushback recently over um, over vape cartridges. Um, uh-huh. And talking about, yeah, oh yeah, I sent on a thing, and a couple, <laughs> and it's been interesting watching that play out. And it was interesting to me, um, my assistant emailed me and she's like, you know, what's interesting about this is that like a lot of the positive feedback you're getting from women who are like, thank you for telling us this. Oh my goodness, I had no idea. And men were typically like, fuck you. Oh, wait, I don't know if I can cuss on my own podcast. Yeah, I can cuss. It's mine. So It's your own podcast. <laughs> and you better, you got to tell me like ahead of time because I am a potty mouth myself. So That's good. No, this yeah. is un- uncensored, unfiltered. Okay. But the vape cartridge thing has been really divisive. Um, I would love to hear your thoughts on that. Where do you stand? Can I tell you, can can I give you a title to use when you talk about this from here on out? Yeah, please. Use the term vape gate. Vape gate. Yeah. Yeah. Use that. Like vape gate, like helmet gate, like. Like water gate. Water gate. Yeah. That's a more popular one. Helmet gate was when Obama wore that helmet and people (laughs) made fun of him. (laughs) But it's, uh, the, the. The, the word on the streets amongst the, uh, the OGs and the educators who are trying mm. to teach people the, the truth of this uh, vape situation. Um, actually, so I didn't come up with vape gate. That's um, uh, Joe uh, Dolce uh, from the yeah. podcast Brave New Weed. And oh. he, um, a few of his podcasts on this actually blew my mind because mm. the amount of investigative research that particular people did in going to the labs and actually taking the samples from these cartridges that were causing these issues and having them retested by other people. And like, it gets deep in, and they're interviewing. Yeah, it gets deep. It's good. Awesome. Uh, he, he calls it vape gate. Um, I, I think what I came up with makes is a little cuter, which is uh, instead of like reefer madness, I call it vapor madness. Um, and it is vapor madness. And it's the same thing as reefer madness, right? Um, mm-hmm. I don't. I don't have to tell you what that is. You know what that is. No, yeah. I think uh, everybody. Yeah, everybody anybody, listening knows what reefer madness yeah, is. Everyone yeah. knows what reefer madness is. All right. Well, it that is vapor madness, right? It's vapor madness to know scientifically know that smoke is heat hot enough to combust plant material, and plant material combustion is also carcinogenic mm-hmm. plus tars and other things mm-hmm. and if you have heat not hot enough to combust the plant material but to melt the trichomes to release cannabinoids terpenes and flavonoids that has no combustion no carcinogens and other things it is safer mm-hmm period okay but you have to take a little bit of time to do that right like there's math there's smoke and there's vapor hate Mm -hmm. to break it to you vapor is safer Mm -hmm. period okay Okay. let's start there right let's start there yes now what the fuck now now what the fuck happened in our country (laughs) where six people died six maybe 20 and the first thing i thought of the first thing i thought of when i saw this was i was like you're talking about people accessing black market product. They got something <clears throat> funky in it. They had a, a weird medical thing and they just so happened to die. And that's sad, but um, 500,000 people die on purpose a year smoking cigarettes. And you can be 18 and buy that at your gas station. Right. So the fact that there's emergency legislation going down to make a safe thing, vaping against the law, yeah. Because people didn't take the time to ask the question, 
what was in this particular type of vape cartridge that was problematic. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's vitamin E acetate, we know that. And what, how awesome is the white industry, the white industry, the white market, which is primarily which is the white industry. White industry. <laughs> <laughs> it's fucking terrible. Um, I, 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 I shouldn't laugh about it, but it's funny. No, we'll it's, talk about it later. Yeah. I, and I've actually tried to do quite a bit about it. We, we can yeah. talk about that later. Mm-hmm. Uh, but within the, but within the Colorado market, which is supposed to be the national standard of how to do this kind of stuff the right way. Um, mm-hmm. there is, a, there's a handful of Colorado does cannabis wrong a hundred different ways. And I can tell you that all day long, but mm-hmm. they also do cannabis very right in a lot of ways. One thing they just did is they just sent out an emergency letter to every single license holder or stakeholder whatsoever, including me. Right. Um, mm-hmm. I don't even work in the licensed industry, but I'm so connected to it that even I got a letter from the marijuana enforcement division and the Colorado department of public health and environment as an emergency email to the entire statewide industry, vitamin E acetate products must be pulled off the shelf and thrown away immediately. You have to process it. You have to prove it. You're never allowed to use it again. And it's being included in all lab testing from here on out. Okay. I have a couple of follow-up questions on that because, because some of the things that I've read are a little bit counter to that in terms of the findings so far. So vitamin C, vitamin E acetate has been connected to the deaths and the illnesses, but they're talking about, what is it? Um, pneumonia, lipo, it's pneumonia and liposis put together, right? It's, I can't remember the word off the top of my head, but they're basically talking about um, ingesting the vapor of fat oils, which might include things like MCT, right? These, we just haven't studied that kind of stuff for long enough. And they also talked about how sometimes that wasn't present in the samples. Um, and they, you know, I, they, they were talking about how um, a lot of the symptoms that people were experiencing were um, from basically it would, it looked like uh, ingesting toxic chemicals, right? Breathing in toxic chemicals. Cause so could that also be pesticide residuals I mean, could there be these other aspects in play? Because it is the black market. And what we just talked about with Eagle 20 and, and the, you know, it's a concentrate when it's in these pens. Couldn't some of these other factors be coming into play as well, making it not as safe? Do you know how many types of bananas there are in the world? <laughs> I actually don't know that. How many? Like hundreds. Yeah, like hundreds, right? Like a lot. I thought you were going to blow my mind and be like, there are only three. <laughs> <laughs> There's hundreds. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, but when people go to the grocery store, there is only three. Mm. Um, I guess the point is, is like the, 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 the number of different types of scenarios and situations that we could put on a whiteboard right now, um, is in the hundreds. Mm. And so, you know, uh, I think in pictures. I, uh, some people know that. Uh, my, uh, my team definitely knows that. My friends and family, for sure. So I see everything in my mind in, uh, visually. When I talk to, sometimes it's very distracting. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, but I'm like, right now, like as I'm talking to you, there's this big graph in my mind. It just looks like an Excel spreadsheet. And if you were to put all the different types of vape cartridges that you could, from the top down, um, there are three dozen types of vape cartridges that we could be considering. Mm-hmm. And then across that, there are, uh, you know, two dozen 
um, different things those cartridges could be cut with either singularly or like in multiples. Mm -hmm. So, so it's a matrix, right? <laughs> so like <Yeah. laughs> this, this, this matrix of, of vape cart possibility is enormous. It's a big mm -hmm. square matrix, right? And yeah, you're going to have, let's call it hash oil. <laughs> I call mm -hmm. it hash oil because it's hash because it's the, 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 the resin of the plant removed, mm -hmm. but in the form of oil. So you have hash oil just on its own, right? Um, the amount of testing that you need to do with cutting that with cannabis-based terpenes, non-cannabis-based terpenes, vitamin E acetate, uh, plants that were sprayed with myclobutanol, plants that were sprayed with Eagle 20, plants that were sprayed with Avid, plants that, you know, it, it, it's, just, but it, it's, it's like, you know what I mean? It's like, uh, yeah, but that's like a nightmare to me. That's a mind to me. <laughs> yeah, it is. I'm like, well, I don't want to, don't, when somebody passes me a cartridge, I'm like, oh God, cause I see the same thing. I'm like, oh, it goes, you know, and I'm like, no, thank you. Well, it doesn't have to be, it doesn't have to be right. So like, yeah. So the thing is, is instead of trying to think about the a million things that it could be, let's make it really, really, really simple, right? Like, let's just get to the point. Here's the point. I grow cannabis in my backyard legally as a resident of Colorado and as a patient. And I separate my trim, my vegetative trim from my sugar trim. And I don't cook that many edibles. So after a while, I might have a small trash bag of sugar trim, right? Mm -hmm. yeah. And because I'm in Denver, Colorado, one of my buddies just so happens to have a closed, loose, closed loop CO2 system. Yeah. No, everybody in Colorado has a buddy who's got somebody's got one in their basement. <laughs> right. so I, I, I bring. So here's the deal. My weed has bugs in it. Not a ton of bugs, but it's got some bugs. Why? Because I don't spray my plants with anything. I don't mm -hmm. spray them with pesticides. I don't spray them with fungicides. Yeah. So I trim my product. They, they grow in the earth. They grow in the sun. They're super clean. I take my super clean product to my buddy. So what I have left over is hash oil. And if I wanted to just like take a, a, a tool to squirt it into an empty vape cart, screw mm -hmm. it on a thing and smoke it. My, that hash oil has an LD50 of zero. Yeah. And an LD50 is the legal dose that would, a potency that would kill up to 50 people out of 100. Um, it can't hurt you because there's nothing in it that could hurt you. So at the end of the day, if you're buying product and you're wondering, hey, is there something in there that could hurt me? You need to ask those questions. You need to look at the back. And if you can't get those answers, you need to move to the next person selling other product that can answer those questions. It's that's just like, such, that's, yes, that's such it. an important distinction. But I think that's so it. many, yeah, I've been working with people, easy. you know, on the consumer side forever. It seems easy, but there's, it's actually quite complicated to find, to know what questions to ask to find a person who has the actual answers, who knows what they're talking about. You have to be such an educated consumer to be able to go into Cause I mean, you know what- Or you could just go to trichominstitute.com. Yeah, yeah, go to <laughs> trichominstitute.com and become an educated consumer. That's true. But it That's does put a lot of burden on the con consumer, right? I mean, put so much burden onto the consumer well, to be able to try to find that out. And I've had well, it, lie to my, like, just tell me what I, they won't think I want to hear. You never had that experience? Well. Yeah, trust me, I've, I've yeah. been that guy. Um, I, I've been fighting in Colorado 
to have mandated legislation that bud tenders need to be trained, certified, and educated, mm -hmm. just like every single nail and hair salon in the state does. Yeah. You, you can't paint fingernails or cut someone's hair without having without being trained and certified and having your certification posted, right? Because yeah. cutting, cutting people's hair is a really huge health risk. Mm -hmm. um, pretending to be a pharmacist, right? And helping yeah. medical patients with these really complex medicines is, is a whole different ball game. They yeah. have no training. They've got no And they go like, I liked bubble number five. I had it last night. It was so fun. <laughs> so, so what that does is that puts the burden on the consumer to be educated because unfortunately your staff at your local dispensary typically isn't. It's not always the case. More and more dispensaries mm -hmm. are becoming more and more educated, thankfully. Mm -hmm. um, but, you know, uh, the not to do a, a, a sale in the middle of my thing here, but just to tell you, uh, because the Tricom Institute has been focusing on training and certifying experts, and it's like really high level cannabis information, mm -hmm. um, we actually are about to release a course for newbies. <laughs> and it's, little, it's not expert information. Awesome. It's all the stuff you need to know. Um, and it covers a lot of the stuff. Uh, but I just want to let you know, we're, we're really starting to spread out like what we teach, how we teach it, it's becoming more interactive, more creative, more hilarious. Um, awesome. Yeah. I love that. I mean, and because you're, you are such a good educator, I think for multiple levels, I really, cause I love, I really love geeking out on your stuff these past few days. And then I go to my friends I and I go like, Oh my God, you know, <laughs> like these terpene and like, you know, and I just like, no, trichomes on all these plants, you know, I just, and I'm like, okay. And your okay. friends, your friends are like, could, could we just smoke it now? Could yeah, you stop exactly. talking what about it? <laughs> and they're like, what strain is this? And I'm like, well, actually, <laughs> actually, we don't believe in strains anymore. <laughs> we don't believe in strains. I want to talk to you about that. Let's, let's move on to some of this. So okay. I want to talk to you about another controversial thing that um, I think you got wrapped up in too, um, using the term marijuana. Now oh, yeah. I did not use the term marijuana forever. We, we, it was a dirty word in the Cannabis Coaching Institute. It's been a dirty word for, cause I thought it was racist. I think like most people in the cannabis industry, we really took hold of that, right? Like, no, we're not gonna use that word. And now it's kind of, there's this really interesting uh, debate going on over yeah. whether or not we should use the term marijuana. So I'd love to hear your thoughts. Yeah, so I, um, I'm just like you. I refuse to use the term for the same reasons. Um, in our older material, you, we, you would see us use terms such as indica and sativa, mm -hmm. and you don't see those terms anymore, and, and, but we do explain why. Um, and you never saw the word marijuana show up. Um, for, for the same reasons that you were saying. Uh, we didn't wanna uh, promote anything that was negative. <clears throat> so I don't think we have to spend much time teaching people why we believe the word is negative. You could just do a quick Google search on the word marijuana and you will just see mountains of information just explaining that it is racist and everything from the 1930s. Mm -hmm. um, and how we use that word to confuse farmers who weren't voting about hemp. They were voting on this new thing they never heard of before, marijuana, which mm -hmm. included hemp and that's kind of how the whole ball got rolling, right? Right. What we didn't know <laughs> was how f amazing the word marijuana actually is and where it actually comes from. And the fact that it's ancient and that it's over 500 years old and that it came from 
the time period of the Spanish Inquisition uh, taking over all the native indigenous peoples throughout Mexico, uh, forcing them not to grow their uh, entheogenic plants, uh, entheogens being sacred plants. Mm -hmm. the, we have a 30 minute YouTube called um, something, <laughs> I don't know what the title is, something about the uh, like incredible and uh, truthful history of the word marijuana, where we have Professor Santiago Guerrera of mm -hmm. Southwest Studies explain um, how the indigenous people tricked um, the Spanish Inquisition to keep that one plant, uh, cannabis, that they were um, working with by calling it the plant of Mother Mary. They made it a Christian name during their cannabis prohibition uh, 500 years ago. Um, but when they said this is Mary, Mariguana, um, the plant of Mary, they actually, the, the Spanish Inquisition allowed them to keep uh, growing their cannabis. Mm -hmm. um, we think that's really badass and cool yes. um, that they used the word marijuana to keep cannabis during their prohibition, which is the yeah. opposite of what happened in the 1930s in the US. But uh, there's a couple other really interesting parts and pieces of history in there that I think shouldn't come from me. They should come from Professor uh, Guerrera. Yeah. Uh, about how and why we need to keep using the word marijuana and how like the dynamic between when we choose to make a word racist, it is. Mm -hmm. When we choose to make a word beautiful, it is. And our intent. And so, you know, it's really interesting. But, um, you know, you want to talk about controversial. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and it's interesting because so no, I... No, let me just say this. Yeah, yeah let, me, let me say this. Um, I was teaching an interpreting class in Oakland, California with Chef Brandon Allen. And it was the first class that we were teaching people that the word marijuana isn't racist and it's awesome, right? Mm -hmm. And there was a Oaksterdam professor in our class who just so happened to be Chicano, uh, who during, in the middle of class, just flat out raised his hand and said, no. <laughs> it's like, sorry. You, Brandon, a white guy, and you, Max, a Jew, cannot tell me, a brown guy, <laughs> uh, that the way that I should look at the word marijuana is, is in that way. He's like, that, he's like, no, that doesn't work. You can't do that. And to be honest, he's not wrong. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So that's why we're so thankful to have Professor Santiago Guerrera uh, help yeah. us crush this. So it's, it's really good stuff. Yeah, I mean, yeah, what, two white educators walk into a cannabis class, <laughs> and they say, marijuana's not racist. Marijuana's not racist. This brown guy's like, <laughs> nope, <laughs> no. Yeah, but we also have um, Isaac Campos did a, is uh, homegrown, I'm reading this right now, and this was the book that was recommended to me on this subject. It's not coming from our perspective, and I think that that's, that's the important thing, because what I think was interesting to me about the backlash was that a lot of white people took offense to what you were saying and to just to this idea in general and so I've, I, I think it's just an interesting dynamic it's just an interesting controversy and watching it play out and I want to roll into the next part of this because not only have you embraced marijuana as a term but you use it as a classification when we talk about taxonomy yes and and it's a brilliant I I believe it's brilliant because and here's why um I'll say it like the you know the cannabis coaching institute 
we've always, you know, gone the sativa and indica are kind of arbitrary concepts, you know, strain names are whatever. And so we focused on what we could control like microdosing and, you know, cannabinoid ratios and that kind of thing. Um, but we never had the terminology. And I was like, so we'd be like, no, I can't really do that. There's really nothing else to call it though. So I don't know what to tell you. And in going through the interpreter course and seeing that not only are you guys, um, you know, educating, but you're also creating this new lexicon for us to all be able to use, which makes it so much easier for the consumer and the educator and the producer to get on the same page about what the fuck we're talking about. Yeah. So I want to talk to you about the sativa versus indica versus hemp and just taxonomy in general. Is there a way that you can break it down really simply for people who are listening? Yes. And yeah. Okay, cool. Let's do it. Well, but also at the same time, you know, um, uh, yeah, I was just going to say for for those who uh, want to like really dig into this subject matter super, super deep, we do that in the interpreting program, but also in the interpreting book. So we, um, you know, I think it's just really important to start with like the very, very beginning. So we start with cannabis uh, going back 20 million years ago. Mm -hmm. um, but okay, long story short, um, none of the plant types we have today are indica or sativa because they are all massively domesticated hybrids on a spectrum of stimulating to sedative psychopharmacy. And the amount of genetics that they have within them is, it's a clusterfuck. So it's not appropriate to consider them either an indica or sativa because in reality, they're neither. And then the other really crazy thing is the plant that everyone has always assumed is the sativa with the thin leaves has always been an indica species, subspecies indica um, to denote where it came from, India. Um, and it is an extremely psychoactive narrow leaf plant type that phenotypically looks identical to the narrow leaf cannabis type hemp discovered, you know, 1753. Uh, just 80 years prior by Carlos Linnaeus in Europe. And so like what you think is indica, what you think is sativa is actually an indica. And even though it's technically an indica, the genetics aren't really pure indica genetics anymore. So none of these plants are indicas or sativas. Like that's the point. Um, you mean like people can't just walk in because you see this all the time. If you're standing in a dispensary, somebody comes up and they're like, I really want an indica. I really want a sativa. And then somebody will actually give them something. Right. I mean, it's like, oh, this is the answer to your question of this not real thing. Right? Yeah, it's well, it's, uh, you know, like at the same time, we also teach that if if it's proper communication where someone says I want a sativa and what they're mm -hmm. trying to say is I'm not talking about a plant type or a species. I'm talking mm -hmm. about an effect mm -hmm. and the effect type I'm talking about is stimulating. Could I have that? Mm -hmm. It's like, sure, you're looking for stimulating versus mm -hmm. looking for sedative, but here's the Trichome Institute's method on this. How ridiculous is it to assume that it's either stimulating or sedative? Like it's, there's two effects when in reality, we believe there's five. Ooh, what five? Well, the five is, um, and we'll also to answer your question, at the same time, why we use the classification marijuana is because instead of using indica or sativa, um, thanks to Rob Clark and Mark Merlin in their mm. book, Cannabis Evolution and Ethnobotany, which is a textbook this thick, it's actually their recommendation to use acronyms, um, which are more accurate. 
The only problem is their acronyms use NLD, narrow leaf drug, to denote something different from hemp. But the problem is, is hemp is a drug. Uh, if you just go to PubMed and search CBD, uh, phytocannabidiol, there's 2,500 medical articles on how that molecule is a medicine and medicine and pharmacy are drugs. So the hemp plant is being used and farmed for drug purposes, the same way the marijuana plant is. Right. And so the best way to distinguish the two types and the two industries is just really to be real about it. There is a hemp industry and there is a marijuana industry. There is a hemp plant that has narrow leaves. You should call it NLH, narrow leaf hemp. And there are marijuana plants with narrow leaves. You should call them narrow leaf marijuana. Yeah. Done. Easy. Uh, easy. Kind easy. Well, not only is it easy, it's also not false. You, right. can't, like, you can't argue with the fact that the plant in front of me that has narrow leaves that get too high is a narrow leaf marijuana plant. You, mm -hmm. you can't say that it's not. It is. Mm -hmm. And if you don't like the word marijuana, go watch Professor Santiago's video. <laughs> <laughs> Good luck. Yeah. Um, so, but, um, so it's, it's, yeah, so that's the classification. But when it comes to the five types, right, the, when you say sativa, we're talking about narrow leaf marijuana, which is the most stimulating. Mm -hmm. But then there's also NLMDs, narrow leaf marijuana dominant types, which are also stimulating. They're just not as stimulating as the most stimulating type. Number three is your hybrid, right? That's the one mm -hmm. in between stimulating and sedative. Next to that, you have one that's slightly more sedative. And then next to that, you have one that is the very most sedative. Mm -hmm. And so it's a spectrum between stimulating to sedative plant types um, because that's reality yeah and the trichome institute from a cannabis perspective is really all about like let's get real about this yeah. um and so now that we have classifications like you can say narrow leaf marijuana dominant mm -hmm. it's not the most narrow leaf marijuana but it's dominant it's more dominant than than the medium type none of these things are inarguable right and uh like like you can't argue with them. They're all true. And it's all way easier than Indica and Sativa. And it helps people find what they're looking for better. Right. Uh, right. So um, how do you, and then, but it, it requires understanding interpreting methodology for you to go shopping on your own and know which one of these five you want, and then be able to stick your face in bags or jars of flour and say, oh, that's the NLMD. I don't care if you call it Blue Dream, and I don't care if it's classified as a sativa, and whatever the lab says it's THC percentage, which is also really silly, um, yeah. none of that matters. None yeah. of that matters. The thing that matters is because I know interpreting, I am, I am looking at this product, I'm evaluating its quality, I'm assessing that it's qualitative enough to put in my body, and because of my interpreting methodology, I know where on the spectrum it's gonna make me feel. That's pretty incredible. It's really incredible. And again, see, I'm so like, I got to take this pressure off the consumer. Like I do, because people got a lot of stuff going on. Not everybody wants to go down all these rabbit holes, right? They just want to go to the thing to go to the dispensary and say like, I know what effects I want. Can you give that? Can you help me find that? You know, I, I kind of, my perfect world, everyone who's in a dispensary would be trained with these skills, right? Well, Every, that you would walk in and it would be. Actually, no, 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 nope. Why? I'll tell you why. Well, first of all, make it easy. <laughs> first of all, 
yes for me and my company, right? Like I would love <laughs> if everyone in the world had to pay me to take my training. Trust me, that's good. Uh, but I don't think that's realistic because, uh-huh. uh, you know, bud tenders are going to take bud tender trainings. They're going to take product trainings. They're going to take sale trainings. They're not going to become uh, cannabis sommeliers the way that they should, even though they, they should, right? I don't think that's realistic that everyone's going to know interpreting, although I wish that they did. I think what's more realistic is actually the tag program. Mm. And probably because you haven't finished interpreting yet, uh, or or if you haven't bought our book, um, you might not know about that. But long story short, the tag program does interpreting methodology for people at the dispensary, meaning you go to a dispensary and all of the flour has been professionally interpreted prior to you getting there. So when uh, you go shopping. Oh, uh, yeah, you, <laughs> that's better. Well, <laughs> you don't even have to talk to anybody. I can ex- just pull <laughs> Yeah, not exactly. And then not even, and then not only that, um, you know, better than, you know, Leafly or Weed Maps, we have the technology. We do. Where mm-hmm. if you're in California and you say, hey, I want, I don't want all the blue dream in all of California. I want the highest rated quality blue dream that there is. Mm. And I want the kind of blue dream that isn't the most stimulating. It's slightly stimulating. I want an NLMD 95% qualitative or higher. Where is that? <laughs> I'll drive to that. Right. We have <laughs> we'll techno- travel for that. <laughs> we, we, well, the, the point is, is we have, yeah. you know, so be- because interpreting doesn't use strain names and because mm-hmm. it doesn't use intercore sativa and because we know THC doesn't equate to potency or an effect type, mm-hmm. we, 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 we do have an ability to run cannabis through an interpreting process create a lab report qualitative about it that literally when you go into a dispensary you could just take out your cell phone and scan a jar and instead of talking to the bud tender you could just read the quality report the interpreting report where it came from the terroir that it used to grow it the appellation that it was grown in the farmer his grow practices it's just basically like a little menu for you to flip through i could do the entire state we just need an investor that'd be great if anybody's listening, who's ready for that? I'm ready for it. Um, yeah. Although, I mean, I think it's kind of like the self-checkout, right? You're taking away the human element. So, you know, <laughs> we're all going to be not talking to each other about, but I, I mean, who cares? <laughs> it's so incredible yeah, what you, you guys you know developed what? with like, that, really. I, I you know, uh, do you know um, Vitamin Cottage? Yeah, yeah, I know that, yeah. Yeah, do you know how there's like literally 10,000 bottles of things and stuff that you have no idea what it does? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That's the same thing as a dispensary. It's not a right. it's not a grocery store. Like, and because bud tenders aren't trained, maybe it's okay to take away a little bit of that human element specifically for the people who need to specifically get what they're looking for. Right. Um, and then for everyone else, hang out with your bud tender. Talk to yeah. them about what they like. Like, what's yeah. what's new, man? Like, what are yeah. you? Doing? Like that's fine too, but I mean it'd be both, right? I mean, we're yeah, I think the cannabis yeah, community is pretty. It's totally, not. Like, I'd be like, okay, look totally, at what I'm checking out here. What do you think totally. about this? You know, we're gonna talk to each other. I, I was absolutely kidding. We're a chatty bunch, you know. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Um, thank you so much for that, and thank you for answering my question. I totally forgot what I'd asked in the first place. <laughs> so using marijuana, um, I I think it's just really incredible. Again, the the redesignation 
and the new technology that you guys are putting together to be able to navigate these waters that are so confusing. Okay. Um, the other controversial thing that I heard, I saw you get wrapped up in a little bit was cannabis as a cure for PTSD. Um, cure in air quotes. Um, not only did I see like, you know, lively debates kind of going around that, I saw a video response um, from, for someone who is, uh, who had, from my perspective, misinterpreted what you had said um, and was kind of like, you're not taking my reason for using this plant, right? <laughs> and it was like, this is my, re this is, it is, it helps me, it helps me, it helps me. And I, I'm like, oh man, again, I feel like when I watch people do this, I'm like, it's not what you're saying, man, like you missed the point. But I think it's a really important distinction. So yeah, go ahead. Nine out of 10 times when people argue with me, it's because they made up their mind before they watched the video and they didn't see the information presented and so they don't know what I'm saying and they just want to argue. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? So yeah. the, those are those people. Yeah. <laughs> um, Trolls. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so <laughs> obviously cannabis isn't a cure for PTSD. Um, in my video, I said it's a, it's a really good Band-Aid for PTSD, meaning it's a good medicine for PTSD. Mm -hmm. But what I said specifically that I think is important is that I said that it drives me crazy when people say cannabis is good for PTSD. Um, and the reason why that drives me crazy is because you'll typically see someone saying that to a massive audience of people. And in that group, you'll find people who have PTSD who are interested in learning how does cannabis help PTSD. And what's frustrating is you'll see these hour long lectures on how cannabis is so great for PTSD without ever mentioning what cannabis you're talking about. You know, they're not saying um, concentrates are good for PTSD. Mm -hmm. They're not saying edibles are good for PTSD mm -hmm. or patches or sublinguals or topicals or suppositories or vapor mm -hmm. or it's like, right. And then or high THC cannabis versus high CBD cannabis, yeah, you know, yeah. like it's, they're using it, the umbrella, right? Yeah. They're just saying cannabis. Uh, and it's yeah. like, that's what frustrates me because the last thing that you could be talking about is flour. And as we discussed on the spectrum of flour, when it comes to the stimulating types, there are a variety of stimulating cannabis types that um, cause paranoia. Mm -hmm. And you can smell, you can actually interpret which flowers are the paranoia types. Uh, <laughs> believe it or it's not. It's going to freak you out, man. <laughs> yeah. You don't want to uh, be in public where there's a police force if you got this guy. <laughs> um, but, uh, but the point is, is if you have PTSD and you're not used to cannabis, you're exploring it for your first time, you hear cannabis is good for PTSD, you assume what that means is flour, you go to a dispensary, you buy some weed, it happens to be an NLM, a narrow leaf marijuana type, which is the most stimulating, you smoke it, and a high amount of terpenoline and delemonine could literally make you think the police are after you, or yeah. the Viet Cong are after you, the Nazis are after you, for God's mm -hmm. sakes, whatever it is that amount of, of paranoia that can become triggered can then trigger PTSD. Yeah. So smoking cannabis can give you PTSD. Yeah. So I'm frustrated when I hear people say 
cannabis is great for PTSD. Cause it's like, dude, you could really be setting someone up for a bad time. Yeah. Like, yeah. Someone could smoke some cannabis thinking it's good for PTSD and then jump off a roof and kill themselves because they're having such a hard time with the kind of cannabis you didn't explain to them. What I tell people who have PTSD who specifically suffer from having anxiety when they smoke cannabis, like they don't smoke cannabis because mm-hmm. every time they do, they, they get anxious. I tell them the best kind of medical cannabis to smoke is hemp. Yeah. Yeah. Hemp flower. Across is, the board. Is the shit for PTSD. It's yeah. Hemp flower. Hemp flower yeah. and CBG, CBD and CBD, or CBG have been incredible. Um, I had a traumatic event last year that resulted in PTSD and I was a, a sativa diva, if you will, before that, you know, like using that, you know, kind of silly term, but um, I love sativas. They were like the best. I thought they were so super uplifting. I wanted as much stimulation as humanly possible. I felt so creative. And then after that event, I realized that the same strains, the same kinds of things were absolutely horrific. They brought on like bouts of paranoia and anxiety. Yeah. I, I really like tapered down my THC almost completely and was just using CBD and CBG and vaporizing that. Um, and that was absolutely critical for me you know like if i if i wouldn't have known about that stuff already you know i would have had no idea and so i love what you speak about here because most people have no idea i mean especially if people are coming with an issue like ptsd that they want acute help with they're just like at the mercy of whoever it is that they're that's giving it to them and it might be a black market a person would be like yeah this is good shit or it might be in a dispensary and so this distinction Again, it's, it puts it on the consumer and the rest of us to really be educating. But I think high THC, especially stimulating high THC, man, it is rough for PTSD. So I, I just really appreciate you for talking about this in a way that's real. And you also, oh, you froze there for a minute, but you also talk about um, MAPS and something that is a potential you know, cure for PTSD. Do you want to talk about that a little bit? Yeah, um, I... Uh, <laughs> Um, I'm very familiar with the world of sacred medicine in general um, for uh, taking care of some kind of big deal stuff. And, you know, that includes um, peyote, ayahuasca, DMT, and, and MDMA and things like that. Um, they're all schedule one drugs that just like cannabis have been proven to have medical benefit, right? That don't deserve to be in the schedule one category. Mm-hmm. Um, long story short, <laughs> it's pretty amazing that the FDA, <laughs> the federal government of the United States of America has not only sanctioned the MDMA trial program for the research company uh, maps out of the University Johns Hopkins, um, but the the FDA is actually I think producing the pharmaceutical grade MDMA uh, for the trials. So, yeah, our government is making they're good at the, making drugs. The, they're, they're they're making the hottest Molly <laughs> you can you could ever get your hands on. <laughs> <laughs> and and they're uh, and what they're and what's cool is they're um, they're giving it to people um, who not just like anyone with PTSD. They're giving it to to people who uh, are most likely going to commit suicide uh, mm. because of how how bad their PTSD is. Yeah. Um, I, obviously, people need to go do their own research on that. Mm. Um, there's a ton you can figure out on yeah. that. The last thing I'll, uh, the the only thing I'll say about it is um, I'm pretty sure James Casey is the third 
clinically um, cured case of PTSD through this specific MDMA program in Boulder, Colorado. Uh, and he's a buddy of mine. Um, he's a good friend awesome. of mine. Yeah. And so um, I know the, um, the psychotherapists that do the uh, psychotherapy with the patients uh, while they're in their MDMA session. Mm -hmm. uh, I know patients who have gone through the program uh, successfully. I'm friends with the trip sitters who are there uh, after the, the therapy session's over for the supervision. I even know the directors. I even know uh, <laughs> Rick Goblin, <laughs> the, uh, the, the director of MAPS. <laughs> so, awesome. Yeah, I'm very, I'm pretty damn aware and, of like what, what, what's going on here. And I, I and yeah. the thing is, is like, you know, like I'm a cannabis educator and Trichome Institute is only cannabis specific. I just think it's really um, important from an education perspective to teach people who are suffering from PTSD that are trying to go down uh, the, the finding help road to know that, they're, um, that there's a really big light at the end of the tunnel. Um, yeah. it, it might be hard to access right now. Um, there's underground ways of accessing it, uh, but there's, there's some pretty cool stuff out there. Yeah, it's really worth promising. mentioning. Worth yeah. mentioning. That's why I wanted to talk about it today because I, I feel like you know we could talk about it all the time. And and you talk about sacred plant medicine. And I was curious, do you think that the Tricom Institute will expand into that? Because you mentioned some of the you, you were showing in the interpreter class, uh, the you know all of these different plants that have trichomes, right? All of these different um, you know medicinal plants that have trichomes, and and food plants, obviously. But um, is that something that you would like to explore more from the Institute's perspective? Um, I'm pretty confident that the board of directors and future investors of Trichome are gonna make Trichome um, stick with cannabis and mm -hmm. be a really specific cannabis education company. And mm -hmm. it's, too, it's too much yeah. to, to bring in I mean, because the complexity of psychedelic education is monstrosity. <laughs> um, and, and also it's, um, you know, the Tricom Institute doesn't need uh, to, to go into that, that space. It just, um, because it has so much of a need in the cannabis space to achieve and accomplish just in general that um, I'm going to say no to that. Um, but the person that you're talking to, me, Max Montrose, yeah, that's, that's a different story. Ah, oh, cool. <laughs> so, <laughs> like, uh, so I'll take that class. Yeah, <laughs> where are we going, Max? My next uh, class um, on uh, plant medicine is um, I'm I'm doing a one or two hour lecture January 9th, twenty twenty, in Denver, Colorado, at the Mercury Cafe on um, psychedelic cactus, which is something I have a very uh, large expertise in and something that the vast majority of the psychedelic community pretty much knows nothing about. Yeah. Uh, so. But tell me, Max, are you into cacti though? <laughs> yeah. Just yeah. a little bit. <laughs> yeah. That's awesome. Um, uh, you know, when I, uh, I, I do my presentations, um, when I introduce myself anywhere I am around the world, um, and I tell people who I am and what I do and blah, blah, blah. And I'm an expert witness and I do this and I do that. And I wrote all these books. Um, but I also tell people that I am a very proud uh, ambassador of the cactus and rattlesnake medicine um, as I am. And so um, yeah. I, am, I am a very proud mm -hmm. ambas ambassador of them. 
um, I've been gifted that honor and, uh, awesome. yeah, I take it seriously. Uh, I want to just move on to a couple of questions that people on sure. Instagram shared, um, and then we'll wrap it up. Um, <clears throat> so I had a student ask, uh, about CBN. How do we create more CBN, um, in home products? How do we access more CBN? Um, you know, it seems like a lot of the CBN, uh, products and stuff are processed. And so I think people have, are curious how to do that at home. Do you have any... Yeah, yeah, sure. Um, first of all, I am one thing that gets that trips people up all the time is sometimes people ask me really technical information that has to do with cannabis, but it's in a really hardcore scientific or medical way. Mm -hmm. um, and people forget I'm not a scientist or a doctor. Yeah. Um, and that what I'm an expert in is the plant cannabis. Yeah. Um, so <laughs> I don't know everything. Yeah. Um, so I just want to state that. It's good. You pick a lane. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, um, but uh, when it comes to CBN, uh, there's a few, there's a few different things there. Um, you know, THC can break down into CBN. That process does happen naturally over time, uh, but it takes forever. Mm -hmm. you, you can speed it up. Um, by breaking down the molecule with, um, you know, heat, light, time, and oxygen, just kind of keeping it exposed. But to be real, like, I don't think you could have enough flour sitting in the sun trying to degrade the amount of THC into a state of CBN and, like, be harvesting it that way uh, mm -hmm. proficiently. I don't really think that works. Mm -hmm. um, I think the thing that works, there's, there's really kind of two methods one is to find a high cbn genetic mm -hmm. and to just really grow that um and or recognize how and when your genetic produces its highest level of cbn which might not be the time that you would harvest it for its highest level of thc mm -hmm. which is when it's finishing right right so, um, you know, growing high CBN plants, but those yeah. are hard to find and expensive. Mm -hmm. And then the thing that you might not like, uh, if you're a, a fan of cannabis or a hippie or down to the earth or true about it all, but in reality, right here, right now, in California, in Canada, in Mexico, probably in many other places around the world, you know, you just put in an order for CBN. Yeah. And how much do you want? You want a five gallon bucket of it? Do you want a yeah. hundred gallons of CBN? Because they just take yeast cells and impregnate yeast with cannabigerol, CBG, and then they teach the CBG to grow CBN. And then yeast does what yeast does. It replicates by cell division every second. And so you can, you can grow a swimming pool of CBN <laughs> and they are, they're growing swimming pools of CBN. They are. It's, they are. I mean, they are. They, it's, they are. Yeah. They're, they're doing that. Yeah. Um, and, <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah. So, you know, it, it wouldn't be outrageous to assume that in the very near future, someone could go to the dispensary and buy themselves a bottle of cbn or mm -hmm. a packet of cbn and yeah. spread that into whatever they want yeah i've also heard um i talked to chanel from ardent cannabis and she said that some of their research about decarbing and then smoking also produces higher cbn um i'm not sure i haven't looked at that data but that's what she said so i think that's another 
option. You can put it in the oven and then smoke it after. I've tried it before. It doesn't taste good. <laughs> no, I like. I was like, oh, I can. I, I'll go to sleep anyway. <laughs> to, to, be, um, to, to be honest, yeah. it, like, um, I haven't seen any research on that. But just like mm -hmm. trying to think about it from what I hope is a common sense perspective. Uh huh. So, if you decarb it in the oven and then mm -hmm. you put it in a bowl and set it on fire and smoke it what's the difference between putting it in a bowl first and then smoking it with a simultaneous decarboxylation? Wouldn't you be ingesting the same amount of chemistry that is decarbed both in, they're both being decarbed prior to ingestion and you're right. smoking the same thing and the amount of chemistry in it is the amount of chemistry in it. Right. So and it's like, it's just, that just kind of sounds like a stoner idea. That's almost like, uh, like if you eat mango before you smoke weed, you'll become <laughs> higher. It's like, no, it's like, no, you won't. <laughs> not at all. Like, let's not go down that rabbit hole. We'll really piss some people off. <laughs> I'm sorry, but it's, oh, oh no, you're too high. Just smell black peppercorn. That will, it has Chew so much, has so much, so much chemistry in it that it will knock out all of the cannabinoids, for CB1, CB2 receptors in your stomach, in your genitals, in your brain. It's like, calm down. No. Yeah, I think the, no. the idea what, no. behind it. Yeah, I, I agree. I agree. I think I, I need to see more data, um, no. obviously. But I think the idea behind it was that it's de <laughs> degrading it faster. No, I don't That's, know. I think, I mean, it's to me, until I see science. Logical fallacy. Yeah. It, until I see science <laughs> that explains how that works, I think it's a cute idea. It is a cute idea though, isn't it? It's a it? cute idea. Oh yeah. It's like, it's like <laughs> organic. It's like DIY, you know, you just decarb it. And instead of getting yeast from Mexico and putting it in a swimming pool, that sounds much more my speed. <laughs> All right. Okay. Uh, let's see. Let's see. Um, I'm, I'm curious. Uh, I want to ask a couple of questions about the Tricom Institute. I promise we will wrap up. Um, I'm glad that I kept this under three hours, to be honest, because I had so many questions. Um, but what exactly um, does an interpreter after they take your course, what are the possibilities? Are there, are there job openings? Are there things that they can do to kind of start their own thing? What are people doing with the certification right now? Well, um, if you go to the, uh, you know, trichominstitute.com slash interpreting, or just go to trichome and go to the interpreting page on the bottom of the page or close to the bottom of the page shows um, a variety of people who came to Tricome became level one, level two, some of them level three interpreters. And uh, those people now um, have started their own businesses. They're consultants for different agencies. One of them uh, from Chile is the official cannabis smoker of Chile. Um, <laughs> when he came back to Chile with this <laughs> level two certification. And I'm not kidding. Like there's videos of him in the, the public news in Chile, like explaining to people that he's a cannabis sommelier. Um, and he is yeah. um, literally all over the world. We have people that do this and like, it's, it's incredible what people can do. The thing that uh, is awesome for me is the amount of soccer moms that come to class. Yeah. <laughs> I'm a soccer mom. Yeah. Well, and it's, and it's because they're, they're just so frustrated that they can't get quality information about cannabis from their bud tenders in the dispensary. And they've got a kid who needs to, you know, use cannabis for, you know, one reason or another, and mm -hmm. they want to become 
highly educated themselves. Mm -hmm. um, but we get chefs from New York mm -hmm. and LA all the time who are planning to start incorporating food pairings and want to do it intelligently. Mm. Um, even do posts um, sometimes on uh, the Tricom Institute Instagram where you know people just send us messages that say, hey, I just took your course, I just got certified and I brought it my certification to this dispensary uh, and I got a job because I knew more about cannabis than anybody else who worked there and I proved it to them. It's like, that's kind of what the power of knowledge is supposed to do. Yeah. Um, and also it's like, like, <laughs> If, you're, if you wanna be a plumber, if you wanna be an electrician, you wanna be a lawyer, you wanna be a doctor, you go to school, you learn how to do it the right way, mm -hmm. you become trained, you practice, and then you become certified. Yeah. And then when you go out into the world and, and you're looking for a job, you're, you're more hireable because you've gone through those processes, right? Yeah. The amount of bud tenders that walk in and are like, listen, man, I've been smoking weed my whole life. Can I have a job? It's like, okay. <laughs> uh, you know, that compared to people who are like, listen, man, I went to Tricome Institute and I became certified in cannabis product and sales training and uh, interpreting, which means I, I can talk to patients about how these plant types work, uh, why, how to get around these strain name issues, how to break down lab testing. I can talk to them about what terpenes and cannabinoids are. I know the difference between a transdermal and a sublingual, a topical mm. a tincture. I can tell women why suppositories are fantastic for their endometriosis, um, all that kind of stuff. So, hey, yeah. could, I have, could I have a job? <laughs> it's like, yeah, you, you can have a job, <laughs> right? Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah. I love it. I love yeah. it. Max, I just want to thank you so much again for joining me. This is incredible. You've been the most incredible first podcast guest that anyone could ever dream of having on. I, it's been an honor speaking with you. It's a true joy to learn from you. I can't wait to see how everything continues to unfold for you. I can't wait to learn more from you and get on this cactus game that you've got going on. Uh, thank you so much for joining me. And I, I, I can't say thank you enough. Thank you, thank you, thank you. I yeah, you thanks day. for having me. And uh, I hope you enjoy the rest of your interpreting lesson and certification. Oh, and when you're, when you're done with that, then you'll, you'll be able to come to our 10-hour uh, our in-person workshop where we train your face and your, your nose to smell the different typicities and the different mold types and how to smell the spectrum of psychopharmacy and the different terpene arrangements. And we, we, we literally, we will, we'll geek out with a hundred types of live flower in class for 10 hours straight, Micros oh. microscopes, uh, terpene <laughs> jars to smell, we'll <laughs> blindfold you and make you uh, guess which terpene is which. So it'll be but will, you, will you teach me how to say Actually, like in a way that it really bugs people. <laughs> Actually, everything you know to be true about weed is wrong. Perfect. I'll have it. I'll have it ready. Awesome. Right. Well, thank you very much. I, you. I appreciate the podcast. So thanks for yeah. your time and uh, the opportunity to share this information. So thank you. Thank very you. Much.